0: Thursday
2: edition of the show. Welcome in Danny Mac show with BK Tanner T-Bone is with us as well as we get you set for Cardinals baseball coming up today on Bally Sports. That'll be at 1215 and Taiwan Walker against John Gant after the doubleheader yesterday. Long day of baseball long fourth inning in game number one. We're going to break Ooh. it all down coming up here on the Danny Mac show BK. Good morning. Good
0: morning, Dan. So I was in attendance yesterday. I at want to get into this and in that fourth Fourth inning, we were all looking around at one another like, so what exactly are they reviewing here? Because we don't have the audio going on, and so we don't know, like, okay, there's X, Y, and Z that's taking place. You, You see the mound visit, but it's like, are they checking something here? Like, what's going on? And then it took 15 minutes to be able to figure it out. Listen, I get it. we got to make sure that we're getting stuff right. If it takes 15 minutes to do so, just figure it out. Like, yeah. come on. we got we got to move this thing a little quicker here.
2: I think they messed it up, too, by the way, because you can't have an extension of your bench going out there to make a mound visit. And the reason why, and I, I you can nitpick at this, too, and I, I would nitpick at it. I, I don't think the Cardinals are doing anything nefarious with this situation, but hey, if you're talking to the interpreter and you're Mike Schilt or you're Mike Maddox and you're saying, hey, by the way, when you're out there, tell KK's flying open. That's the point that Luis Rojas sure. and the Mets are making is that you can't have that happen. So you had the two visits and two visits in an inning constitutes that he's out. So I, I think they messed that thing up. It, it, and the, to the bigger point, though, and, I, and you're 100 percent right, And I was getting frustrated on the game, and I try not to do that. But I was like, "Let's go! This is taking way too long." The replay with Arenado at third base took way too long. There weren't a lot of games going on because it was Game One of a doubleheader, so there should have been a lot of eyeballs in New York. It was
0: clear if I could see it at the the ballpark on the review, like they've got to be able to see that
2: ball on in the glove, foot on the bag, pretty easy. Let's go, just make the call and move on. And um, I've been—they were supposed to do this before the pandemic, and I've been saying this from day one if you're going to have replay there's no reason that if the NFL can figure this out and the NHL can figure this out to explain it to the folks at home and to the folks in the stadium what we're looking at it needs to be done in Major League Baseball and if an umpire doesn't like it because guys have been doing it for 20 years and they're uncomfortable on the mic tough this is
0: part of the job now you have to adapt that's just the way it is You have to inform the public. There needs to be more transparency, and I think that's kind of what you're getting at there. Like, if I'm, for example, yesterday in the stadium, I had no idea what was going on, and I didn't know why for 15 minutes we were waiting to continue to play baseball. And that's ridiculous. Like, that should never happen.
2: I, I said it right away when Mike Maddox hopped out. I go, whoa, 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 whoa. I said it kind of like that on the air. I said, now I'm not sure if this constitutes a second visit. I didn't know the rule. I thought I did, and the rule is what I thought it was. You can't do it. Yeah. You know, you can't have multiple visits like that unless you're going to take them out. Now, that's neither here nor there. The Cardinals win game one, uh, drop the second game 7-2. to two. Cardinals are so dependent on the home run. 50% of their runs are coming via the home run. They got a couple of home runs. The Goldschmidt home run off of Big Mac land got another one, and they win that game, and I thought KK was fine. You can shorten the game in seven innings. Bullpen held up. That's the way it plays out. That's been the playbook for the Cardinals right now in winning these games.
0: Yeah, and then if you go to game two, I actually thought Oviedo was pretty solid overall, had a few pitches that ended up getting away from him, but I thought overall pitched a pretty good game. And that's just one of those where, hey, if they're able to win again tonight, and you get three out of four against the Mets, that's a successful series right there. And of course, part of that is you didn't have to face DeGrom, which is nice for the Cardinals, but you got to take that. If you're a Cards fan taking three out of four against this team,
2: it'll be John Gant and he'll go against Taiwan Walker today. Mike Schilt on Johan Oviedo and the second inning is what got him
3: generally speaking you know that situation you know you you got to get back to that next pitch you got to get back to the pitch to pitch focus and you know i I know Wookiees out there and he had um, had nobody out second and third gets the soft fly ball to left gets a soft fly ball to center you know guys came in we got behind the ball gave a nice throw kept it right there and so you know it's like okay i'm gonna get out of this and then the wild pitch like Maybe just maybe, I don't you know, hard to say, but maybe just like that little bit of letdown to know, okay, gosh darn I gave it up and now maybe not for ready to make that execution of that next pitch. And uh, you know, got one over the middle and Nito made him pay for
2: it. Yeah, that's one of the things that you see with a young pitcher. I thought the ball prior to that should have been blocked, which would have kept a run off the board. That was Ali Sanchez in game two behind the plate and then the home run hit by Tomas Nito and you look up, all of a sudden it's 3 nothing. That's the difference when you're in the minor leagues and the major leagues. You make that little that little mistake, and those guys here at this level, they'll burn you. And he got burned.
0: He did, and it was ultimately the difference in that game, and you hate to see it, but it is what it is. Dan, I did want to ask you about the Southfield defense, though, because they were outstanding yeah. yesterday. Um, you had a situation where basically back-to-back plays, you get a ball that— Gets to the outfield and against a lot of teams, that runner. I think it was Dominic Smith. It was. He's going to score. And against the Cardinals, and maybe part of this was Dominic Smith is still a little hobbled. But they didn't try running. They they were not about to test Harrison Bader or uh, Tyler O'Neill. And Bader made a dart of a throw. the catcher as well
2: and even hobbled i thought the mets may try it because they've been struggling to score runs Mm -hmm. They're the bottom three of of scoring runs in major league baseball i mean they're they're getting pretty good pitching out of their big three which we saw one of them yesterday stroman you're going to see another one walker and Degrom. and the problem has been they have not scored runs so you're thinking well Maybe we push the envelope here, and they don't do it with Tyler O'Neal in left, and as you mentioned, Bader in center. I want to ask you a question. I'm being serious about this, and I'm not going to go woo in the loo on you, but you were at the ballpark, and that was your first time at the ballpark this year. Yeah, Is it your first time at a live event in a long time, I'm Yeah, assuming? first time
0: since the start of the pandemic. What was it like? It was awesome, actually. Um, I was talking about this. I went with my fiance last night, and... Um it in some ways I actually kind of preferred it like maybe this is just more of a reflection on me than it is anything else but it's kind of nice it's more relaxing in some ways to go out there right now than it is with 40,000 in the stands now Obviously, I'm going to be happy whenever we can get back to the full capacity. That is what baseball should be, especially here in St. Louis. However, in some ways it's like you, you you can actually sit back and enjoy the baseball game. There are not people standing on top of each other in the concourses. The lines aren't quite as long to go grab a beer and come back to your seats. Um but in general, it was just refreshing. To be able to go out to a ballpark and to just watch for yesterday a doubleheader with the Cardinals in, the, in action. that's It's something that I haven't been able to do in a long time. What would you think
2: of, I have thought from day one, this crowd, and maybe it's been there before and minus the 30,000 people would have been like this anyway. But I, I think the crowds in St. Louis have been more into it than ever than I remember with reduced capacity, um, just they're into it. I, it's, you know, 12,000 people there, 10,000 people. I just think they're into it more. I think they're louder than I remember. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe it's because I'm coming off of watching a bunch of cardboard sit around there. I don't know. But it does seem that way.
0: I think there's some truth to that, especially, I mean, the, the plays that stood out to me yesterday were the, the two outfield potential assists where you had Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neal back-to-back, and both of them ended up being able to prevent a run. The crowd had a massive ovation on both of those, and yes, part of that is this is just St. Louis. That's how people react here in St. Louis, and it's a different kind of sports town, different kind of baseball town than other places, but... I don't know, man. It, it did feel engaged is the word that I would use for everybody that was out there.
2: The Cardinals made an announcement. Keith Hernandez has been selected by the fans as a uh, member of the Red Jackets and the Cardinals Hall of Fame. I did an interview with Keith for Valley Sports, and uh, Tanner's Tanner's kind of, uh, been able to pull a few cuts on this, and I'm glad he did. I, I asked him on the first thing he did after finding out about he made the Cardinals Hall of Fame.
3: It's such a great honor. Um, I First thing I did when I received the call from Mr. DeWitt was to uh, go online and check all the past inductees because, of course, the Rich his cardinal history, which I'm well aware of. So I'm in good company. I love it.
2: He is. And he talked about in that interview, he got very emotional in the interview. It was about 10 minutes or so, BK. and. He went back to what he was talking about with us when Stan the Man would leave him and his family tickets out on the West Coast, and that's how he was introduced to Cardinal baseball. He talked about Bill White watching him, and he's very hopeful that they are are all going to be together this year and there should be an induction ceremony with everybody there, John Tudor, Tommy Herr. But he said Bill White was the guy I watched defensively. Um, He talked about the Cardinal uniform. He loves He's like, yeah, the bird is a little too big right now. He <laughs> loves the the cardinal uniform, and this is something that is extremely meaningful to him.
3: So, when I get the to be a part of the guy the, of the cardinal greats, and we're talking about you know Jim Bottomley, I was looking the other day, and Joe Ducky Medwick. and There's a lot of people that were very important to my career coming up in the minor leagues that are in that Hall of Fame that aren't here today, unfortunately. So. I'm just uh, completely um, overwhelmed, to be honest with you. A kid from Pacifica, California, grew up a Cardinal fan like anybody else. Just a normal kid to have to fulfill the, fulfill your dream to be a major leaguer, and then to be inducted into the Cardinal Hall of Fame is just. Uh, A dream come true
2: i love it mvp in 1979 the year that he hit 344 five-time gold glover two-time all-star and a member of the 1982 world championship club we're going to visit with ken Oberkfell, who was his third baseman on that club um to me it's full circle it's long overdue he should have been in the cardinals hall of fame way before this anybody that knows uh or has listened to me talk about this i've been saying forever keith hernandez needs to be there and so uh i was so happy for him it's a great day for the cardinals and it should be a great ceremony with all those guys going in
0: yeah it's well deserved and as you said i totally agree with you should have been in a long time ago and it's been overdue for him i think that he's a guy that should be in the hall of fame the baseball hall of fame much less the cardinals hall of fame you've got probably arguably almost certainly the best defensive first baseman to ever do it you've got a guy that was an mvp here in st louis he won multiple world series championships he's a part of two of the most storied franchises from the 80s and he was a driving force behind both of them um, this is a guy that for me should be a baseball hall of famer eventually and it's uh, a special day yesterday that he was finally able to get into the Cardinals Hall of Fame.
2: So, advancing the story, I, I really do wonder if he's going to get into baseball's Hall of Fame. I, I, you know, you have these veterans committees that come back and you get on the ballot and you take a hard look at a guy's career. And more and more, we're seeing the defensive metrics play a part of this. Scott Rowland is is zooming up the charts because of his defense. Uh, one of the reasons why for the Baseball Hall of Fame. And when people will go back and reflect on Keith Hernandez, and you look at defense. And, and I'm with you. In my mind, he's the best defensive first baseman I've ever seen. I think he changed the position in certain ways of how you hold a runner on, defending the bunt, playing on the turf. And he won two multiple uh, two championships. And, oh, by the way, one of them came in New York with a pretty famous World Series against the Red Sox. I think that may help him get a closer look, and I I would hope that they do that and look at just how good he was.
0: I think it should. I mean, he was an all-around player, and you look at what he was offensively, it's kind of amazing when you look back on it. He was kind of a, uh, he was an analytics darling before the analytics became a part of the game. The guy finished his career with a career 385 on base percentage. Right. I mean, that's unheard of for that time period, so I think he should absolutely, at the very minimum, get further consideration for the baseball hall of fame and at most i think he's probably a member of the baseball hall of fame my opinion at least
2: yep i'm with you and we uh, know for sure now he is a red jacket member so congratulations to keith hernandez coming up we're going to visit with ken oberkfall oberk he was the third baseman on the 1982 world championship team we'll get his thoughts on keith this is the danny mack show with bk the podcast powered by i promise and the Cardinals lead two games to nothing. Ken Obergfell, a huge part of the 1982 World Series champions, the third baseman for that club, and he joins us on 101 ESPN, Dan McLaughlin with BK. And, uh, Kenny, great to hear your voice. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Dan. How are you? I've been listening and watching the ball games, and I love hearing your voice. You do a great job.
2: I really appreciate that. It's a little different game from 1982, isn't it? (laughs)
1: I think it's a lot different. Game. <laughs> what, do,
2: what do you what do you think about the game now? As you watch it? Is it is it frustrating for you? or Are you kind of the guy that just rolls with the punches and says, "Eh, this is the way the game's played."
1: I'm pretty much the second. It's just the way the game's played. Uh, it, it has changed a lot, and I think the, a lot of the new ballparks have made the change because you know now it seems like teams will sit back and wait for that three run homer or something. And back when I played, we you know we just run.
2: And you think about that 1982 team, you're at third base, you got Ozzie at short, you got Tommy at first base. Or it's at second base, you got Keith Hernandez at first, and then you look at the outfield with skates, you got uh, Willie, you got uh, Hendrick, and the massive ballpark on the turf, and you guys were built for speed in a way, but built for defense, too. Would, would, do you think that's a fair assessment of 1982?
1: Oh, there's no question that's definitely a fair assessment. uh you know, why do he build his team around the ballpark we were playing in? And Bush Stadium was a pretty big ballpark, but, uh, I, you know, I think we only hit like 60 something home runs as a team, but we stole like 200, it seems like a thousand bases. But, uh, we just, you know, I think teams now just build around their ballpark, and a lot of the ballparks are hitter friendly.
0: Ken, I've been reading up on those 1982, the, the, the 90, 1980s really, Cardinals a little bit recently, and I, I wanted to get your perspective on this because it seems to be kind of consensus. Uh, do you think that infield, uh, where, where do you think that ranks in terms of the best defensive infields that you've
1: seen? Well, I It, it is the best infield I've ever seen, and I'm not saying that because I, I don't, we just you know, we just told our pitchers. We said, "Just don't walk anybody. Let them hit the ball. We'll, we will make the plays for you." And, and that, you know, that was what made us so good and consistent. Cause if I'm not mistaken, I'm not sure, but I know in '82 we didn't uh, we didn't beat ourselves a lot. And I think uh, we only had like maybe one, or one or two, three or four game losing streaks a whole year. We were very consistent winning.
2: There's no doubt. I, I've said it, and you've probably heard me multiple times. I think the 82 infield is the best maybe in St. Louis ever and should go down as one of the best in baseball history. And, and yesterday, uh, Kenny, we, we saw maybe the best first baseman, defensive first baseman ever get uh, inducted or will be inducted into the Cardinals Hall of Fame And Keith Hernandez. Uh, what does that mean for you to see on your infield Keith Hernandez, Tommy Her, Ozzie is in baseball's Hall of Fame, but all these guys getting the accolades that they are?
1: Well, they deserve it. I mean, to me, Keith was, Keith made our infield because we couldn't make a bad throw. Because every time we made a bad throw, Keith would pick it. And he just, he was just a consistent first baseman and a very aggressive defensive player. And a lot lot of times when we'd have bunch plays on situations, I'd just stay at third because Keith would cover first and third. Mm -hmm. So we just, uh, it was just a good infield. Well, I think it was a great infield. Maybe I'm being partial, but uh, those three guys, they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame in St. Louis, and it's it, uh, quite an honor for them, and I'm happy for them.
2: When you think of Keith, what comes to mind initially with his defense? Was it his his hands, how he set up on holding a runner on because he changed the game with that, left-handed throwing first baseman, charging on a bunt? You mentioned that. What What is it that, that Keith does if I said, hey, Keith Hernandez, defense, what comes to mind?
1: Aggressive. Yeah. He was a very aggressive defensive player and uh you know, he, he had a good arm, he had great range, and you know, if Keith got a glove on the ball, he he caught it. Ken,
0: I'm curious, for our listeners that may be uh, tuning in right now that were not around to watch the the 1980s Cardinals, how would you describe what it was like to see Keith Hernandez every day? Not just defensively, because we know how great he was over there, but also, he was one hell
1: of a hitter as well. He was a very good hitter. He he hit left-handed as good as any left-handed hitter I've ever seen hit left-handed. I you know I hit left-handed, and I have my problems, and... I think uh, I think Keith had pretty good success against Steve Carlton, and I was a typical comfortable 0 for 4 against Steve Carlton. But I asked Keith, I said, "What are you, What are you doing? Well, how do you hit him so well?" He goes, "I don't swing at the slider." And my next question was, "Well, how do you take the slider? And he just, you know, he was just a good hitter, all around hitter, and he was the perfect number three hitter for our team.
2: What was he like as a teammate, too, behind the scenes and and just uh, having Keith in there and one of the, you know, obviously one of the leaders of that club?
1: He was, he was, was a leader of that club. I mean, he took charge uh, on the defensive infield and uh, hitting and just, you know, pumping players up, the young young kids who were coming up through the system. Keith was, you know, he was there for them. And, uh. He was there for all, all us infielders because, like I said, we couldn't make a bad throw because he caught everything.
0: Ken, can you take me back to 1982? You're in the World Series. You're taking on the Brewers, and you're going to Game 7. What was that experience like for you guys? What comes to your mind's eye as you think back to the 1982 World Series?
1: Game 7, my the thing that comes to my eyes is, let's get this game started. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. We- so the longer you sit around, the more anxious you get. and The more you know, you just we just wanted to get the game started and just be another baseball game. And uh, that's that's what I remember in our clubhouse. Everybody's going around shaking hands, wishing everybody well, and let's go out and win this World Championship that hasn't came in St. Louis for a lot of years. And that's exactly what we did.
2: Why do you think Whitey uh, was able to change things around so quickly here in St. Louis? And it did, I mean, you think about today, people say, well, we're in a rebuild. Like, the Pirates are in a rebuild, and it's going to take multiple years for them to rebuild. Whitey comes in and flips the roster and gets exactly what he wants. Uh, how do you think he was able to do that so quickly?
1: He's Whitey. <laughs> <laughs> The man's amazing. He just, you know, he knew what we'd done. Because I was there and there, you know, in the late 70s. Yeah. and We just, you know, our team was not built for our ballpark. And when Whitey took over, I think he realized that. And I think that's why he stepped down as manager, to name himself general manager, to build his team and then become the manager of that team. That's exactly what he did. He was, to me, he's the head of the game. He knew what we needed in St. Louis, and it didn't take him long to turn it around. Ken, you
0: mentioned earlier the game has changed quite a bit, and that is absolutely true, and there there really are no teams in baseball right now that remind me of those early 80s Cardinals clubs. What do you think would happen if I, if I took that 1982 team, for instance, and just plopped them into 2021 baseball? What do you think that club would do in today's game?
1: Well, I think we'd change the game back to more of a running style game. Uh, I don't know. It just seemed to work for us. Uh, you know, I was getting around. Someone asked me one time and said, "How would you guys compare to the mid-eight, you know, the, the two thousand teams or the teams now?" And I said, "We give them a good game, but you got to remember, we're sixty-five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we would just we would run. I mean, a good example for me is when we played the Los Angeles Dodgers. We'd go out to Dodger Stadium and." Sure enough, someone would hit a walk-off home run to beat us. The Dodgers would come to St. Louis, and we'd run them, run them into the ground. It's just I guess it was the teams that built for the ballparks, and, and Whitey did a great job building his team.
2: You know, Ken, you're not that far removed from coaching too, and and dealing whether it would be with independent baseball or even at the major league level. You played on six different teams. You played a the hell of a long time in the big leagues. So I got to ask you about Arenado. When when you're watching Arenado at third base, what what are your impressions in watching him?
1: My got he to right now, besides him or Scott Rowan, I mean, he, him and Scott Rowan are two of the best defensive third basemen I've ever seen, and Arenado just. If he gets a glove on it, he's going to make the play. And uh, he's, he's, uh, he's an all around player. He, you, know, you hear about his offense all the time, but he, he's a pretty good, good defensive player.
0: Ken, I also wanted to ask you about another guy that I have just enjoyed watching so much so far this year, which is Tommy Edmond. And he reminds me a little bit of a throwback player. He's got one of the lowest strikeout rates in all of baseball. He's fantastic defensively at second base. You can move him to the outfield if necessary. Uh, what what have you made of watching Tommy Edmond this year? He he seems like the type of guy that would have fit in in those 80s teams. Oh, there's
1: no question. He reminds me a lot of Tommy Hurst of 80s teams. But, uh, you know, usually I, I judge, I watch players and, you know, the rookie players. I'm saying, okay, well, let's see what they can do, you know, over the course of a whole season. I'm sold on him. Tommy Edmonds is a tremendous player, a great leadoff hitter for that club. And like you said, he can play everywhere. But he's uh, he just he seems so mature.
2: No doubt. Hey, Kenny, you grew up a Cardinals fan, did you not?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, and, and where are you living at now these days?
1: over in Maryville, Illinois, right across the river.
2: Yeah, are you doing anything in baseball still, or are you, are you going to enjoy retirement? What are you doing?
1: Well, I'm uh, working with Little League kids. I, I have a 10-year-old uh, Little League baseball team that I work with, and then there's a good old soccer team. Or not soccer, a good old softball team I work with. And I've done a little uh, commentary play-by-play with uh, the Council Chaos baseball team. So I'm keeping busy. But I'm still enjoying retirement.
2: So are you going to come up in the booth with me or what? Ah, why not? Yeah, that
1: would be great.
2: <laughs> you have an open invite, my man. Anytime you want. Every time I'm around you, you're always smiling. You're great with the fans. You're you're awesome to me. So come on up to the booth. I
1: I'd love it. Well, I gotta get to the game first. I gotta figure out how to get tickets on my smartphone.
2: <laughs> I hear that you know it's funny, BK. So BK went to his first game yesterday. Yeah. BK knows how to work every digital device in America. I had trouble getting my, open my tickets to go park the other day. So I'm with you, Ken. I'm I'm having trouble sometimes. I guess we're just um, old people. I don't know.
1: I don't know how we survived without cell phones back in the day. <laughs> I'm with you.
0: I ask my mom that all the time. Where it's like, how did you like? How did you go on trips? Like uh, some sort. If you're going on a road trip somewhere, how did you know how to get there? And she's like, well, we had maps. I'm like, yeah, but I have that on my phone. I, I don't even <laughs> think I could comprehend how to take out this massive map in the middle of my car. No chance. No
1: chance. It's amazing. It really is.
2: Hey, Kenny, do you, do you still talk to Whitey? Do you, do, you, do you catch up with Ozzy and some of the guys from 82?
1: Uh, I do when, before this pandemic when we did a lot of stuff over at the ballpark, autograph signings and stuff like that. I'd see him running too. I, I haven't talked to Whitey probably in about six months. And uh, Ozzy, if sometimes if I'm around town or something, I might, might catch him or something. But, uh, you know, he, emails and uh, you know, text messaging and all that. So it's, it's something I always, you know, I always want to keep in close contact with these guys because, you know, we're a special team.
2: I am curious, when you're coaching young kids, um, how much of your influence of, of Whitey, you know, trickles into how you manage kids or managed in the in the independent baseball, minor league baseball, that kind of thing, or as a bench coach in the major leagues, how much of that Whitey influence was a part of what you do?
1: Oh, a lot. I mean, not not necessarily with these young kids because they're only ten years old. And sure, a lot of them can't get the ball to the place. Mm-hmm. But you know, we just work with them and you know let them have fun, and, and that's what Wally did with us. He, you know, he let us have fun. Then so when the game starts, be ready to play, but have fun. Cause, you know, be relaxed. You That's what I tell these kids. And then I got a lot of, I call them the super dads. That, you know, couple. <laughs> Come in to help and do everything, and start changing the kids around. And then I kind of say, "Okay, that's enough." Yeah. But yeah, I, I, and I, when I managed in the minor leagues, I, I managed a lot like Whitey in the fact that uh, I managed just to the ballpark, not to the team we were playing, but to the ballpark.
2: It's interesting. Hey Ken, thanks for jumping on with us. It's always a pleasure to uh, visit with you, and I've been around you a bunch down at the ballpark, and I mean it. Don't be a stranger. Come on up anytime you want to the booth, and 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 uh, come on the air, or just visit with us, or just come and say hello. I really appreciate you doing this.
1: Oh no problem, Dan. I'll definitely do that.
2: You got it. That's uh, 1982 World Champion Ken, o- uh, Ken Obrickfell of the uh, St. Louis Cardinals of that 1982 championship team. Yeah, it's
0: amazing to talk with those guys. I mean, Love they it. just they have they have perspective in seeing so many different things. And Dan, it's it's really special that Keith Hernandez, going back to the reason why we had Ken on today, is now a member of the Cardinals Hall of Fame. I know for you, you have been kind of leading the charge on this for a number of years now because he should have been in the Cardinals Hall. Of this is the right thing for the cardinals for the fan base and i i would imagine yesterday had to be pretty cool for you as well
2: it was uh, i i will admit that um and it's not about me and it's no, not of course it, it, but it, it's a special sure, thing yeah it Absolutely. is I, I love the cardinals hall of fame i think it's the one of the best things if not since i've been doing the games which is two and a half decades i i think it's probably the best thing i've seen Outside of the games and winning championships that the Cardinals have done, I I love what they do in the community with the ball fields and Cardinals care and what they've done, which has raised, I think, close now to $25 million since the late 90s, which is great. They didn't do that before. That's an awesome part of it, the charitable aspect of the organization, and it's great, and it's needed. But from a baseball perspective, we have so much history in this franchise, and for us not to celebrate it or to have a Hall of Fame, to me, kind of seemed crazy. We would go to different places, and I'd – and as you know when I would go uh, on the road I would go to might be uh, a hall of fame of uh, the sport like I go to Toronto I go to the hockey hall of fame. Yeah. Um I've not been to Cooperstown I can't wait to do it but you know you go to a pick your franchise and they've got some type the of Negro Leagues in KC. Exactly. You know? I always make a visit there. You know, just to see the history because the history teaches us. History a lot of times repeats itself or I love to see that history is celebrated. And I thought, man, we, we've got so much history here in St. Louis. And you look at the eras in which the Cardinals won and the players and the characters and then a, an owner that celebrates it. Like, how do we not have this? And he obviously embraces it, too. You know, I've, I've heard privately, like Mr. DeWitt will say, hey, through the grapevine, I've heard that, you know, this piece from 19 whatever is, on, you know, being auctioned off at You know, this piece from 1880 is going to be open. Let's go get it. You know, stay up until one in the morning until we get it. I mean, they care, man, about this franchise and they understand it's very important to the city. And they've done an incredible job since they became the the ownership group in the nineteen ninety six year and and what they've done. So I, I just so to your original point, I love the Hall of Fame and yes, I was pushing for Keith Hernandez. Now Full disclosure, I'm friends with Keith Hernandez, and I love him. He's great. I mean, he is just hilarious, and I just love being around the guy. But then as a baseball player, it's ridiculous that he's not in the Cardinals Hall of Fame. And it's no disrespect to others that have gone in. They all should be in. I really believe that. Like this year's list, look at those guys. They're all going to get in. But he should have been in even before this year. So that's where I stood with Keith Hernandez. Yeah,
0: there are there are Hall of Famers, and this is the case for Cooperstown as well, right? right? And then there are guys that were no doubt, like, there's no discussion to be had. And that's Keith right. Hernandez is in that latter list for me when you look at back at uh, some of his accomplishments. Dan, I, maybe we can carry this over to the other side, but I'd be curious what your memories are from those 80s teams. Oh. Because... <laughs> I mean, it, it, as a kid growing up here in St. Louis, I can only imagine how much those meant to you as a, uh, watching those from a child's eyes. Yes, <laughs> we don't have enough time. <laughs> uh, we'll talk a little bit about that and
2: Tommy Edmond coming up in our next segment. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the
0: podcast powered by I Promise. <laughs>
2: Keith Hernandez, that was Game 7, 1982. Welcome back to the Danny Mac Show with BK. We just had Ken fell on. Love getting the perspective of these guys talking about Keith and talking about 1982. And BK, you're asking me about being around here in the 1980s, and we're talking off air. I, to me, when it changed is when Whitey got here. For a lot of people's uh, fandom here in town, Franchise was not good in the seventies, and it could have been a lot different if they don't trade Steve Carlton. Jerry Royce is here; they had him. Those two guys were gone. If they kept him, totally different. Seventies would have been totally different, but it wasn't, and it was kind of a a dull time. I mean, you know, for our young fans that are listening, imagine Busch Stadium 2 that could hold you know forty five, fifty thousand people, and you got ten thousand people at the ballpark. You know, you think there was there's not many people during pandemic games. That's what it was like. It's crazy. It's That's foreign to think what about. it was like. And then Whitey got here and changed everything. And they started drawing three million fans because they played such an entertaining, uh, entertaining style of baseball. And you know, there and there were great characters. I mean, you had the the Redbirds of nineteen eighty five that were running wild with Vince Coleman and Ozzie Smith, Tommy Hur Willie McGee, Terry Pendleton. Jack Clark was incredible when he was here, but at the core of all this and when it changed was Whitey Herzog, and he played an entertaining style of baseball, and that to me is the the baseball that we're enjoying now. You can thank Whitey Herzog, or at least what I'm trying to say, the fans and the excitement that goes into being a Cardinal fan or the franchise it really turned around again under Whitey. And to Tony LaRusse's credit, it was getting kind of not to a dark period, but when he took over in 96, they won that year. And then they've been on a sustained run of winning for the better part of almost 20 years. So, but it all goes back to me is when Whitey took over and changed the franchise and got people back involved into. Loving Cardinal baseball because of the kind of product he put on the field and the way that they played. So today I'm talking to Danny Mac, the broadcaster, the guy
0: that has been uh, the TV voice of the Cardinals for 20 years now. However, however, let me for a moment take you back to Danny Mac, the kid that's watching the 82 World Series on TV. That's watching 85 um, and the Don Dankinger call and everything that ensued with that. What what was Danny Mac like back then as he's watching the Cardinals of the 80s that are just running wild? What is that time period like for you as a fan? And I would imagine you were representative for a lot of kids that were growing up in that time period.
2: No, no doubt. Didn't miss a game on the radio. Uh, read all the box scores. I used to keep a notebook with every game and what happened. So I'd keep my own stats in a notebook. Uh, throughout the 80s because I was a geek and I loved it so much. uh played... Tanner gets on to me about being a geek. Come yeah. on, man. <laughs> played baseball, imitated every guy in the backyard. I love those Who teams. Who was your guy?
0: Your, your Ozzie Smith is my you... guy.
2: Well, Ozzy was my guy. I could imitate all of them, though. But Ozzy's my favorite player. I mean, Ozzy. I think for a lot of people, is their favorite player. And, and as we kind of advance the story with the passing, unfortunately, of Lou and of Red and Stan and Bob, I think Ozzy's the next in line to kind of be the guy of these Hall of Famers that represents the Cardinals on the biggest stages. You know, our representative of the Cardinals is Ozzy. You know, and and it's no disrespect to Tony La Russa or Whitey or Bruce Sutter, but Ozzy lives here too and he's involved in a a number of charities here in town, so... He's kind of the guy, I think, now in the next in line for these that represent Cardinal Baseball. Oh, I really for sure. do.
0: For sure. And there's a reason why. Like, and
2: Ted Simmons. I should mention Ted Simmons, too. But he's just getting into the Hall of Fame.
0: Sure. And you mentioned as a kid that that was your guy, right, right. that you were watching. And so there's the, that, that makes sense that he would be the guy. But let me take you back to 1982. You're watching the Cardinals, and you mentioned you've gone through the lean years as a kid of watching your team were struggle tough, for a time period. And then and now... Eek, they're back. The Cardinals are back. For some people, they saw 68, and now they're getting back into it in 82. What What is that period like for you as you're watching your Cardinals, that you've been taking all the notes, copious notes yep. of the box scores and everything, finally win a World Series? It was
2: awesome. I mean, and to think – I think
0: big picture here,
2: I, I, mean this, I mean, it was awesome. That's the only way I can put it. I, I didn't miss a game. I listened to everything. I loved listening to Jack Buck. He was just incredible. But – the young fans of today they haven't seen bad baseball in st louis you may see some bad games you may see a around a round of 500 season you haven't seen bad baseball like even when they had in 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 99 was not a great team here in st louis but you still had mark McGuire hitting 65 and we didn't know all the the stuff at that point yep. and it's on the heels of 70 so the place was packed, and there was excitement around every at bat. So you're going to get four at bats that you're watching that guy, and going, I'm not missing that. You know what I mean? And so then in 2000 they go out and get Jimmy Edmonds, and you get Daryl Kyle and and Dave Veers and Fernando Vina, and they go on this run. And in 02 they get Scott Rowland, and then this guy poolhole shows up on the scene just before that. Just it just. The Cardinals, you know, 13th yeah. round pick. Here's and Albert Pools. You've got 7,000 different Cardinals devil magic players over the yes. years that exist. It's just incredible. So they, you know, I, I, and I don't mean disrespect to our young listeners, but you haven't seen bad baseball. You don't know what it's like. Go watch the seventies. Yeah. That was some bad baseball, man. That was, that's when you are like, okay, this is not good. And this team is not good. And this franchise is going nowhere right now. Now they had some decent teams, but they ever they never got over the hump. So when 82 happened, it was like a culmination of all this stuff. And Whitey flipped that roster. Yeah, I, I know you love to look at stuff. Yeah. Look at what he
0: did. I was reading about it a little bit more last it's, night. Uh, it's just unbelievable. Because I, as we were preparing for all of this stuff, I mean, it's it's amazing. And some of the trades at the time were like, whoa, what are you doing here, Whitey? Like, what what, what what's going on here? And then he, he ended up building a roster that became one of the great franchises of the 80s, and it led them into where we are today.
2: And Gussie Bush said, go do it. I mean, gave him the power to go do it and flip the roster and said, build the team that wins. And part of that, too, is we forget, and I think we get so much, it's a results-driven business, and we're right. It's wins and losses. It's what you do, right? If you win, you're in a, You're in the playoffs, you have a chance at a championship. So don't get me wrong. That's, that's the most important thing. But this is supposed to be entertainment, too. And so to your point of sitting through that fourth inning yesterday, that's not entertainment. Yep. And Whitey Herzog brought entertaining baseball to St. Louis as well. So it was not only winning, but it was the style of play. That he brought here, that people were gravitated towards these characters that were fun people and fun players to watch, and he was a character himself, which made it great. So it was just it was a special time in baseball, and we're in a special time of baseball now
0: here in this town too. So you mentioned, uh, or I mentioned with uh, Ken that we were we we're talking about Tommy Edmond and how he could have played on those teams back in the eighties. I think so too. And he said, "quote I typically wait." couple of seasons to be able to say I'm in on a player I'm sold on him yeah that's what he said about Tommy Edmond. Dan I was trying to rack my mind of a comp in recent Cardinals memory for Tommy Edmond. And man, I don't know that there's a great one. Like there are pe- mm. there are there are pieces of his game that remind me of certain players, right? Like as a hitter, maybe there's a little bit of Eckstein in him. As a defender, if you're looking at just the ability to be able to play all over the diamond, there's some guys that come to mind that you could go with that. But as an all-around piece, a potential gold glove second baseman, a guy that has one of the best contact rates in baseball right now, a guy that can hit for a little bit more pop than I think I expected him to I mean, he is like the perfect prototypical leadoff hitter in modern baseball. And it's crazy that they just, they kind of found this guy, seemingly out of
2: nowhere. And this is a really bad comp. Uh, okay, I'm going to say it, but hear me out on this. So I'm going to say Skip Schumacher just because you could go from the outfield. They taught him the infield. But Tommy is light years ahead of Skip as an infielder. And he is, I don't know if he's as good as Skip as an outfielder because Skip could play center. And that means he could play right probably without a problem, but he's a really good outfielder, Tommy Edmund. And Skip is not the player offensively that Tommy Edmund is. So I, like I said, it's not a great comp. I'm just trying to think of guys that could play infield, outfield, and that's the one that comes to mind. There's just not many that can do this and do it at a high level.
0: He's a unicorn. Yeah. Like that, that, that's what I've, I continue, I continue to wait for. Okay, there's going to be a piece of his game that it looks like it's there right now, but Opposing pitchers are going to find a way to expose him because that's how baseball works, right? Eventually, they will figure you out, and then it's about your adjustment And he's to done them. that. He continues to adjust. It's crazy what we're watching right now. I mean, the guy's going to probably end up with 20-ish stolen bases this year. He's going to have an on-base percentage around probably 350, 360. He's going to f- hit about 300. I mean, I, I was a guy that was critical of them for not picking up that option for Colton Wong. I thought he should have been back this year after watching this man i was the one that was wrong they clearly knew something about tommy Edmond that i didn't see i didn't know he had this in him he's been outstanding so far this year
2: we talked to willie mcgee was it yesterday or the day before we talked to willie and and talked about you know just how good of a player he is and, and in particular with willie coaching outfielders watching tommy Edmond as well
1: that kid is seamless you know he's he he he, he is such low maintenance, man. When he's out there, I don't even have to worry about it. And when he goes in the second, you know, he plays great. Uh, you know, Gold Glove caliber caliber ball. And then when he goes in the outfield, you know, same way, man. This kid is just—it's uh, a pleasure. You know, he's a—he's a pleasure to be around.
2: He almost came up with a great pay, play again last night. <laughs> Had it in his glove. It was close. I thought it was the first time. Yesterday was the first time I thought he had just a little hesitation on the ball, which cost him maybe a you know, an inch or two, half a foot or something like that, but a, that's nitpicking. So this year Tommy is batting two ninety nine, two home runs, six runs batted in, three fifty five the on base percentage, four twenty five slug, and the OPS seven eighty.
0: Seven eighty OPS. Yeah, I'll take that that'll play that'll play just fine. He's playing all-star caliber second base right now. Yeah. Like think about that. And and you said it, I think you said it before the season that you thought if there's a surprise on this team, probably Tommy Edman. He's a guy to watch out for. Man, he has not only surprised me, he has been one of the most surprising pleasant surprises in all of baseball so far this year.
2: It's been great. Um all right, let's wrap up our thoughts on this. Gant, Taiwan Walker, if you're the Cardinals, you've been playing good baseball. Uh Get three out of four, man. Get hungry. Take three out of four in this in this series. That's the way I got to look at it.
0: Absolutely, and it's going to be tough. Taiwan Walker's been pitching really well really so far well. this season, and it's not an easy task. But this is one of those games where if you're the team that I think the Cardinals are this year, and I said yesterday at I think they're closer to that top of the pack group than I initially expected them to be coming into the season. This is a game that you got to win. You, you got to go take three out of four against a team that's really scuffling right now.
2: I know you'll be talking with BK or with Alex uh, BK about. Uh, what are you laughing at, Tanner? I got my names mixed up. Give me a break. Uh, about David Backus, because I had so many Bs and BKs and everything else, so then Backus with a B, Tanner. Uh, <laughs> that was pretty cool last night in Enterprise.
0: It was amazing, and I'm a sucker for stuff like this, and I know a lot of St. Louis was uh, just – I I heard Michelle talking about it earlier today. She's like, listen, I teared up last night. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Yeah, I, I get it. If you were somebody that got emotional over that – uh, it's totally understandable, and I want to ask Alex for a guy that was so close to some of those teams and was covering a lot of them. You know what? What is it like for him to watch the end of David Backus's career and kind of be able to now reflect on? I mean, in a lot of ways, Backus was a part of the start of what has now been built. He was yes. a start of what ended up being a Stanley Cup winning team. I don't know that you have Alex Petrangelo being the captain that he was without. David Backus. I don't know that David Perron is the player that it, we're watching today without David Backus on the front end of things. So uh, I'm really interested to talk about that all of that with Alex coming up today. Any guests as well? Or is we it just have you John Neese, nice, who okay. was not able to join us earlier this week. He is expected to join us today. We're looking forward to that. And Joey Vitale is going to join us coming up at 1230 as well. Looking forward to that. You've been listening to The Danny Max Show with BK,
2: the podcast powered by I Promise.
1: On November 13th, it's the dawning of a new era.
0: When the NFL debuts in Germany, live on NFL Network. Brady and the Bucs. Touchdown
3: Tampa Bay.
0: DK and the Seahawks. Puts the ball up. Making a catch. Wake up and watch with the world. It's Sunday morning football, live from Munich.
1: Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern, only on NFL Network.